0: Okay, welcome to the John Riley Project. This is episode number twenty three. It's Thursday, December sixth, two thousand eighteen. We're going to talk about a number of issues today. We're going to get into the recent Poway hate crime. We're going to talk about Trump and tariffs. We're going to speak a little bit about Poway Unified School District. We're going to talk about a business leader here in the Poway Carmel Mountain Ranch area that I'd like to highlight. Um, And uh, we'll talk about some local sports. I got a couple other things I want to cover, but... um, Thank you very much, first of all, for joining me here um, on the John Riley Project. If you're a listener or a viewer, I really appreciate your participation. Um, If you're a subscriber to our YouTube channel, thank you. If you haven't subscribed, I would recommend if you just look down below, there's a button where you can subscribe to the channel. I'd encourage you to do that. Um, And, you know, we are very much want to make this a community kind of a project. So if you have some thoughts, some feedback, some positive or negative feedback, if you have some recommended guests to come on the program, then by all means, visit the website at johnreillyproject.com. There, all of our social media links are available. You can fill out a form, get back in touch with me. And uh, I'm very anxious and interested in your input. If you have some questions that you'd like for me to read on the air and answer on the air, I'm happy to do that as well. So again, I want to make this kind of a dialogue. Um, just to give you an update on the project, you know, we were really busy during the political season. And then once we had election day, we kind of took a collective, uh, you know, a breath and relaxed a bit. And then we had the Thanksgiving holiday. Then there's, you know, been a bunch of crud floating around, you know, some, some head cold illness stuff. Uh, Maybe you've been dealing with it too, but it knocked me out for a bit, but uh, now we're back in action. And so, um, I've got a number of, uh, Interviews set up just like we've done in the past. You know, the, the 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 studio is going to be a little bit different. We're going to have a different presentation, but I'm going to be doing a lot more of these solo podcasts just to reflect on some current news, some topical um, items, and really look at it through my own lens, offer my own commentary. And I'm going to try to focus a lot on issues that are local, that are here in that North County Inland area, Poway, Rancho Bernardo. Rancho Penasquitos, Carmel Mountain Ranch, Saber Springs, Forest Ranch, Del Sur, you know, kind of the whole geography that is covered by Poway Unified School District. That's the area that I'd like to have a particular focus on. I'm hopeful that all of my guests are from this area because there's just so many interesting people, interesting news items that are going around locally. May as well focus there. So I'll be offering some some comments and thoughts. So let's get right into it. Um, let's first talk about the big news that it occurred earlier this week, and it was a hate crime that occurred here in Poway. And what had happened is a family had set up uh, decorations f- uh, for Hanukkah, and on the very first day of Hanukkah, um, you know that evening, uh, a couple of hoodlums came by and spray painted a swastika on the side of this family's home here in the city of Poway. Just unbelievable. And also poured some kind of a flammable liquid. I don't remember if it was kerosene or if it was gasoline, but they poured it over a vehicle and thankfully that wasn't ignited, but still a horrific piece of vandalism here. Spray painting a swastika is in and of itself an awful thing. Uh, But to do it on the very first day of Hanukkah on a family's home that had just decorated their home on Hanukkah, obviously a Jewish family, just a horrific act. And I mean, this is just uncivilized, it's vile. I mean, I can make any number of negative comments and I'm sure we all agree on that point. This is just a terrible act. And I was so proud of my community of people here in Poway that reacted swiftly And with urgency, and we saw on Monday night, there was a a candlelight vigil and a protest that was held on Poway Road near the intersection of Poway and Community Road. That was covered on the news, and I saw updates on that on the local news on all of our, you know, channels 7, 8, 10, 5, and 6, all the typical local TV news. I saw updates there. Um, Then the Poway um, City Council had a meeting on Tuesday, and I know people were there expressing their, you know, their anger, their their concern, their um, outrage. And um, and that that also was covered in the news, which is great. I mean, this is these kinds of things need to be put out into the open. It's, you know, kind of like sunshine is the best disinfectant we can't allow this sort of thing to occur in our community. And I'm glad it's gotten the necessary exposure. And um, I'm hopeful that the sheriff's department is going to actively go after um, these individuals that committed this crime and find them and, um, and, and then, you know, help hold them to the full account of the law. So that's what I'm hopeful is going to occur. But re- even outside the scope of legal and outside the scope of law enforcement, As community members, I think it's important that we speak out on this and that we make it clear that there's no no place for this kind of bigotry, um, this kind of intolerance in in our city. Um, So I want to put that out there right away, and I think it's an important event that we these are things we don't sweep under the rug, but it does bring up. um, Actually, before I get to that, I want to just give one shout out, and I want to say. Um, thank you very much to Mariana Benedict Basila. She and a number of other individuals were the ones that organized the um, uh, the candlelight vigil and the protests on Poway Road. And, and Mariana, you did a great job. I know you've been very active in other issues here in Poway, and I want to thank you uh, for doing that and for being vocal, being alert, being responsive, and uh, and and being, I guess, you know being quick to express your um, uh, your views on this issue and, and, and mobilizing and engaging the community. So bravo to Mariana for doing that. But what I want to talk about here in, in the context of this issue is this whole notion of hate crimes. Um, I think this is an interesting jumping off point because we obviously had – a crime that occurred here in Poway, you know, according to the definition, it's definitely a hate crime law. I mean, it's definitely a hate crime itself. Um, but I think it does invite the question of, you know, what are hate crimes? What are the purpose of hate crimes? And is the entire concept of having hate crimes appropriate? So, you know, I was just thinking about this and I was asking myself, well, why do we have this thing called hate crimes? I mean, I it should be pretty obvious to all of us. I mean, we don't want to have any place in our community for hate, for racism, bigotry. Um, you know, obviously, this is motivated to um, have extra protection for certain classes or categories of people. Like in this particular example, this was a, you know against a hate of religion. In this particular case, the Jewish religion. Um, You know, there's a lot of political correctness that comes from hate crime laws and hate crime legislation, and it all generally comes from a good place. Um, You know, I mean, obviously, there's been a great deal of history. I I think that's obviously well documented as well, Um, you know, where certain groups have been persecuted. I mean, the Jews, we can go back 5,000 years um, to say nothing of the Holocaust that occurred Um, you know, just the last century. I mean, some just horrific crimes um, that have occurred. And so people are are obviously sensitive to this issue, that are empathetic to groups that have been persecuted. And so it makes sense, you know, and especially in a nation like the United States, where we have a First Amendment that guarantees the freedom of religion, you know, and and, and if we want to live in a society that is, um, you know, tolerant and peaceful, you know, so that's why hate crime laws typically come forward. But, you know, should we actually have a legal mechanism to deal with hate crimes that's different than it is for other categories of crime? And I think this is where I begin to th- I think a little bit more differently on this issue. Um, and I want to be careful with how I express this, because I know that This is an emotional topic. It's an issue that people feel very strongly about. But my views on this, I I feel pretty strong on it as well. And so I I want to express that here through my podcast, just so I can share this with you. So one of my concerns with the notion of hate crimes is that, um, and and let's be clear here, this crime that happened in Poway was was a crime. It was no question it was a crime. And number two, it was a crime driven by hate. So on a moral basis, no question, it's a hate crime. My concern is, is on a legal basis, should we have separate categories for hate crimes? Because if you think about a lot of crimes that occur, I mean, a tremendous amount of crimes are driven by hate. You know, it may not be hate of a racial group or hate of a religious group, but it might be hate of a person or hate of a situation. Hate, unfortunately, is a driving emotion that fuels a lot of negative activity in society. And so um, that's one of my concerns is is that with hate crime laws, what ends up happening is that depending on who the victim is, the hate crime law can be in effect or not be in effect. And so I'm a big believer in this notion of equality under the law, that all of us should be equal under the law and that no individual or group should be above the law or have a separate set of laws that apply to them. And so when it comes to the notion of hate crimes, I often I get concerned is why should certain victim groups uh, make that crime that much more amplified and have that result in that much more of a higher penalty because of the category that the victim happens to be in. Um, I, I think that sets up double standards. I think that creates further divisiveness in society. You know, if we all want to have unity and we want to come together, I mean, obviously we have to fight against intolerance, fight against this kind of hate. But at the same time, we can't be establishing different rules for different people and saying, well, these people are protected, but those people are not protected based on how we categorize. And I think that gets to be very dangerous. Um, I think it's also tricky. In this particular case, it's a swastika that was painted on the side of a house. So clearly, this is vandalism. This is a property crime. This is damage to a person's home. I mean, there's material damages here. No question on that level. The question then becomes, at least that I ask, is if we make this and categorize this as a hate crime are we actually now beginning to look at the words or the symbols that are being used and determining if the crime should be of a higher or lesser degree of severity based on the words or symbols that are used and i think that's also a dangerous place to go because you know the government is shouldn't be in the business of regulating speech you know we should be we should be for free speech. Now, I'm not saying free speech means you can spray paint a swastika, obviously. But what I'm saying is, is that is that in this case, it's clearly vandalism. It's clearly, and I'm speaking on a legal level, it's clearly vandalism. It's clearly a property crime. It's clearly damages to that individual's home. But should we be in the business of policing the words or symbols that are used? And again, I think that's concerning to me. So, I, I look at this this matter here. You know this this uh, this hate crime that occurred, and it is a hate crime according to the current definition. It needs to be called out. the The police need to make this a matter of the highest degree of urgency to find the individuals and prosecute them to the fullest extent of the law. We need, as as a as a as a community, we need to speak out on this. Um, that's why I'm so happy about the protesters that have come forward. Um, and there's been a lot of chatter about this on social media. If the um, people that did this heinous act are caught, I hope they're publicly shamed in social media and, um, you know, that, that we show as a community that we are not going to put up with this BS. However, when it comes time to apply the criminal penalty Um, I'm very curious to see how this goes. Um, Because again, morality and legality are not always the same, nor should they be. And so um, I'm curious to see how this is all going to shake out. Um, But anytime we have these horrible incidents, and once they're classified as hate crimes, immediately my radar usually goes up because I know now it's going to be politicized. It's divisive. It separates people based on the group that they're in, um, you know, so it becomes sort of, uh, you know, a matter of evaluating which group has been more oppressed than the other group. And, and again, I, that's a very dangerous place to be. So those are my thoughts on hate crimes. I know this is an issue that many people feel differently than I do. Um, and I invite that conversation. So if this is an issue that um, you're particularly passionate about, let me know. Hey, maybe we could have a sit-down conversation. We could talk it out. And that's what the John Riley Project is really meant to be. It's meant to be a, uh, an opportunity for us to discuss big ideas, ideas that um, are you know, potentially about philosophy, about the law, about morality. Um, these are areas that we can explore. And I think this would be a, a wonderful conversation to have. So I encourage feedback on this. Okay, let's um, let's switch it up a little bit, and uh, let's talk about something a little more positive. Um, over the weekend, my wife and I had the great pleasure of attending a quinceanera. Um, it was one of my wife's coworkers, and it was her daughter. It just turned fifteen, and so this was an amazing event. It was really fun. I had a great time. You know, for those of you that don't know, a quinceanera is a um, largely a Hispanic um, cultural tradition when a uh, young uh, female is transitioning from being a, a girl to a woman, um, and it has deep traditional and cultural meanings. It's particularly a little more uh, popular in Mexico, perhaps in other parts of uh, Latin America. But, um, you know, it's great since, you know, we live here in the San Diego County, we're a border county. So great, you know, influence of, of, of culture here. So I, I was really thankful and pleased that we were invited to this event. You know, of course, they had a um, a ceremony in the church in the afternoon. We didn't go to that. That was mostly for family. We attended the reception last Saturday night, and it was in Bonita. This was incredible. It, it, it's like a wedding. Uh, they have full-blown, um, uh, you know, food. They had an open bar, I and mean, it was amazing. And, um, you know, all these, you know, round tables with 10 people, there was probably 250 to 300 people there. Uh, video presentations, um, a disc jockey um, dance floor, you know again, just like a wedding um, and it was special because um, the young girl or i should excuse me the young woman, the kininetta herself um, she was there, and she had her friends, and they were all sitting at the head table and then um, there was a i guess a ceremonial part where um, her mother and father. Uh, presented her and talked about her uh, childhood and, and the hopes and dreams they had for her as an adult, which I thought was great and Then um, the quinceañera and her friends came onto the dance floor and they did a number of choreographed dances that were beautiful and they combined um, you know tradition and culture with a lot of modern elements and and it was just really special so it was neat you know just to share that experience. Um, you know, and it's neat that we live in a community where we have that opportunity. Um, so it was terrific, and um, I, I couldn't help but think to myself, "My gosh, my gosh, how much did this cost?" Because uh, we all know weddings are expensive, and this is right on par with that. In this particular family, they have five girls, um, so there are five quinceañeras, potentially five weddings. Um, now, my understanding is is that the family. The extended family chips in. And so aunts and uncles and cousins are covering different segments of the budget. You know, someone's covering the photographer or the videographer or the, you know, the the facility or the meals. And so and thank you for inviting me. I know that was a great, um, you know, financial commitment. And um, and we were pleased that you allowed us to enjoy the, the event with you. So thanks. Um, what else? Uh, quinceañera. That was fun. Yeah, if you have a chance to go, by all means, please do. This actually was our second one. We went to one a couple of years ago, another one of my wife's co-workers friends. And it's interesting, you know, I I grew up in San Francisco and, you know, like Irish Catholic family and this kind of event wasn't something that was really part of my upbringing. I know in other parts of the United States, you know, there are debutante balls, which are a big thing that, you know, we weren't in that strata of society. Um, And then I know for others, Sweet 16 is a big deal, but that really didn't seem to be a big deal in my family or my extended family. Um, So for me, it was special because it was just a fun event. So I just loved it. I think it was awesome. I want to give a big salute to a special business person here in the community. And this gentleman's name is Nick Anastasopoulos. And Nick is the owner of the Athens Greek Market Cafe and Carmel Mountain Ranch, and he and his wife Vicky have just retired, and and bravo to you, Nick, and your and your lovely wife, um, Nick. You have done a fantastic job in our community, and I just want to tell the story of my interaction with Nick because Nick is an is an amazing guy. First of all, I got to know Nick through a lot of the networking events in our in our area, whether they were, you know, Poway Chamber of Commerce. I think I met him through some. Um, there was just a whole number of of local events where we seemed to cross paths all the time. And he was an entrepreneur that I I always thought was special. You know, when you would enter a room, he always had a big smile on his face. He had positive energy. He was all about making relationships, making people feel good. Um, And then, oh, by the way, he had this amazing restaurant in Carmel Mountain Ranch right next to the Angelica Movie Theater. And so he always was wearing his shirt and and promoting his business, so he was a an entrepreneur, but you know he was always out there on the front line, kind of the main voice of the business, the marketing or p r part of the business, and just did a great job um, so it, it's interesting because um you know, as I was learning more about Nick, I realized how much this gentleman has done in our community, and it's really unbelievable. And so I want to read to you just a couple of of sentences of the things that he's done um, in the area. During um, his nine years as president of the Rancho Bernardo High School Foundation, Nick was the driving force for getting the school an all-weather track built around the football field, plus a new visitor bleachers and a press box and a snack bar. Wow, Nick, thank you. Thank you for helping out our community, the sports program at Rancho Bernardo. That is awesome. And what a great way to do it by mobilizing the community, by having voluntary, charitable contributions to build it. I mean, to me, that's the way these sorts of things should be done. You know, of course, we all know the alternative Poway Unified, if they got involved, they would have probably passed a you know, a gazillion dollar bond and done it in in an inefficient way. Um, Nick, you did it the right way. And thank you for that. But it doesn't stop there. Um, Other activities that Nick has been involved in has been the Rancho Bernardo Recreation Council president for 14 years, chairing the Rancho Bernardo High School grad night celebration for two years, adding a fireworks show to Rancho Bernardo's Fourth of July celebration, serving as president of Bernardo Heights Master's Homeowners Association for 13 years and starting Rancho Bernardo's annual Hats Off to Volunteers Recognition event. Nick, you're a community dynamo. Um, Unbelievable. And uh, it didn't stop there. I mean, I want to share another particular experience I had with Nick. Nick um, was kind enough to invite me to uh, participate as a board member in the San Diego North County Character Counts program. And Character Counts is uh, an ethics training program that is being taught in our schools locally. And Nick was working to bring that into the business community to teach um, ethics and responsibility in the world of business. And wow, that's fantastic. we always use more of that. And so, Nick, I was so honored that you invited me to be part of that. And we got to know each other a little bit better. Um, But I just thought that the Character Counts initiative is just such the perfect project for Nick because it so perfectly um, reflects his own character. So let's take a look at the Character Counts program. There are six pillars to the program. And maybe you've seen the banners hanging in the schools or in the gymnasiums. I know they have them hanging in the Poway High Gym. I see it all the time. But there are six pillars, trustworthiness, respect, respect responsibility, fairness, caring, and citizenship. These are values that are being taught in the schools. These are values that Nick wanted to bring to the business community, but these are ultimately a reflection of Nick's character as a quality individual. So I just think it's fantastic. So, um, you know, I was checking the news. Um, I don't really ever read the local newspaper anymore. I just go to pomeratonews.com and get all the news there. And I noticed that the Ranch Bernardo Foundation, or maybe it was a particular foundation, was looking for new nominees for the Ranch Bernardo Hall of Fame. And I thought to myself, well, clearly, we've got to nominate Nick. Um, so I went on the fo- on the website, and I was l- going to nominate him, and I realized, oh, he had already been inducted into the Rancho Bernardo Hall of Fame in 1998. So- 20 years ago, someone beat me to it. And another reflection of the amazing things that Nick has done in our community. So, um, Nick Anastastasopoulos and his wife, Vicki, thank you for everything that you have done in our community. Thank you for providing a great restaurant that offers wonderful Greek food. Thank you for all the things that you've done in Rancho Bernardo to make our community better. Your Retirement is well-deserved. I I hope you enjoy it. I know I've read stories you're gonna be traveling, visiting family and friends, going back to Greece, you know, bravo. So congratulations to you, Nick. Thank you for everything you've done in our community. Let's talk a little bit now about, um, this is more of a national issue, but it's an issue that I feel strongly about. And um, it's about tariffs and trade and President Trump. Um, a couple of days ago, President Trump issued a tweet and and I'm going to read it to you because it was just so utterly outrageous. Um, I try not to follow Trump on Twitter because it'll just drive me nuts, but, um, someone else had forwarded or retweeted this and I read it and I I think, oh, this is a podcast topic for sure. So here, I'm going to read it to you. I am tariff man. When people or countries come in to raid the great wealth of our nation, I want them to pay for the privilege of doing so. It will always be the best way to max out our economic power. We are right now taking in billions of dollars in tariffs. Make America rich again. OMG. I read that and I thought that tweet is a fake news be loaded with propaganda and misinformation and just see an embarrassment. Um, and I, let's break it down. But let's also put us in context. The trade wars that have been going on since President Trump has come into office are now getting amplified. You know, we're increasing tariffs, China increases tariffs, and they just keep ratcheting up. I know he and President Xi, uh, Xi had a uh, a meeting, and I think they're going to have a ceasefire they're not going to reduce the tariffs. They're keeping them at a very high level. And I know that just recently, a, um, a CFO of a Chinese company was arrested in Canada, and they're trying to extradite this person to the United States, um, you know, probably as a result, I'm assuming, of intellectual um, uh, trademarks and, um, and intellectual property laws. But the whole, this whole case is just being handled awful. Um, in the matter of tariffs, first of all, tariffs are damaging to the economy. They're damaging to buyers and they're damaging to sellers. And who pays tariffs? Well, according to Trump's tweet, the foreign nations are paying for the privilege to import their products in the United States. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not how tariffs work. Tariffs that President Trump is enacting are a tax on the American people. You know, here he goes around talking about he's made all these great tax cuts, but meanwhile, he's increasing taxes um, on products that are imported into the United States that sometimes are being bought directly or in other cases are used as uh, as uh, parts or or um, uh, items that are used to assemble larger pieces uh, or larger, larger uh, goods here in the United States. So it just jacks up prices for all of us. Um, and it's just a terrible, it's a terrible policy. I mean, you Talk to most any major economist, and they'll tell you that tariffs are damaging. We saw it in the early um, 1930s, right around the beginning of the Great Depression, with the Smoot-Hawley tariffs. And, uh, there's a Ferris Bueller reference there for you. Anyone? Anyone? Um, but uh, we know that the Smoot-Hawley tariffs made the Great Depression worse because tariffs are damaging to the economy. Um, and w- why is that? Because when we make products more expensive, we end up taking away opportunities to make the economy better. Not only does it reduce the consumption of those goods, but it reduces the amount of leftover cash that we can buy and invest in other things in America. I mean, if we're able to buy a particular item for a lower price because it's imported, that's great. Because that means we're going to get the item we want, and we have leftover money in our wallet that we can now go and invest in companies in the United States where we have a strategic advantage, rather than propping up companies in the United States that are failing to compete. And ultimately, that's what these tariffs are about. They're cases where the, the pain, the burden is, is felt on a broad scale, because all these products now have higher prices. But who benefits? A small few. The small few that are in that industry, that um, the American company, the, those people that work there, they're the ones benefiting from this because they're unable to compete on an international basis. So the pain and burden is is felt widely, and the benefit is is only goes to a narrow few. Um, so- but since President Bush, pardon me, President Trump has enacted these tariffs, it everything it, it distorts the economy that, and that's what happens when you aren't allowing people to trade freely and you try to centrally plan the economy with these tariffs, it creates all these distortions, kind of like a balloon you squeeze on one end and it creates the balloon inflates on the other. The motivating reason for the tariffs, according to President Trump and his supporters, is to balance our uh, trade. Because right now we are importing more value into the United States than we are exporting into China and other nations. And as a result, there's a trade deficit. What these tariffs were sold to the American people as was an opportunity to try to have balance in trade. Well, first of all, The trade deficit has gotten worse. The trade deficit has expanded since President Trump enacted these tariffs. It's made the situation worse. But more importantly, the trade deficit doesn't matter. Because what is a trade deficit? It just means that people are buying and selling amongst themselves. And if one party is buying more from the other, so what? I have a trade deficit with my local grocery store. So what? I give them money. I get goods in return. That's a win-win transaction. I give them money. That helps them. I get the goods in return. That helps me. For both of us, we see an increase in our net outcome. It's win-win. So the fact that the cash went in one direction doesn't matter because the goods came in the opposite direction. So this notion of these nations are ripping us off or robbing us, um, and it just, it's just silly. Um, if if we can get imported goods from foreign nations or companies in foreign nations that are of, of high quality, we should be buying as much of it as we can so that we'll have leftover cash to invest in technologies and new products here in America, where we have a strategic advantage. So the best policy is not to ratchet up tariffs. It's to make tariffs zero, even if we have to do it unilaterally. That's the right approach. Because when you increase tariffs, you increase the pain and suffering on American consumers. And um, it, it just, it's just a rotten policy. Um, and it's cronyism it's cronyism because what it does is it is it benefits those american companies that are unwilling to compete at um at the necessary level it also gets another distortion this is another goofy part of it is look at our farmers so the farmers were at first um seeing higher prices for their um their their uh farming equipment you know so what they're getting machinery that they're using in the farms that is made with steel or made with aluminum that was being imported from Asia. Those, those tariffs went up. So those prices on that farm equipment went up. So immediately, farmers had higher expenses. Then because of this trade war, now China has put tariffs on the import of many uh, agricultural goods that go into China. And soybeans is the kind of the classic one that's being discussed. Now soybean farmers are having trouble exporting into China because the tariffs there are are higher. And so they're seeing that their, their exports have declined. So expenses going up, revenue going down. So the farmers in the United States are getting royally squeezed from both ends. And so what does President Trump do for them? Well, the right answer would be to remove the tariffs completely. But instead, he takes taxpayer dollars and he... Back door hands it back to the farmers in the form of corporate welfare. Again, just insane. It, it's 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 um, these are the kinds of distortions in the market that that create these kind of twisted puzzles that end up inflicting damage on buyers and sellers. So I encourage President Trump to reduce the tariffs to zero. If President Trump is the great deal maker that we all hope in society then he'll do that and he'll move tariffs down to zero. What else? Let's talk about a couple of things here, quick ones. Uh, Poway Unified School District, uh, disappointed to hear recently that they were involved in more no-bid contracts. Um, This was extremely disappointing. Um, What's a no-bid contract? Well, that's where, um, in this case, the school district needed to make a major purchase and in a proper, transparent open book kind of a philosophy, they would put a request for proposal out, they would get multiple bids from various vendors, and then they would choose the best choice. That might be the lowest bid, or it might be the, the best fit at the lowest price, but they would make the most optimized solution. What happened here is that the school district just continued to spend big money with these vendors. In some cases, vendors that have sold us or sold the school district Damaged or defective products, and what we're talking about here are the artificial turf fields in in the in the uh, in, in our football stadiums in the high schools. And this was specific to Westview High, and they had uh, defective turf, and the um, to replace that with the higher quality version of the turf was going to require money being spent. And if my memory serves me, it was about um, $450,000 approximately, um, that was being spent on this to, um, replace, replace the turf at, uh, Westview. So they're replacing a defective product. They did it with taxpayer dollars and without a formal, uh, open transparent bidding process. They also did the same thing with, um, the Poway High running track. Now, I don't know if that, I don't think that was a defective product. I think the defective product is specific to the, the, um, artificial turf on the football fields, but the Poway High track also a no bid contract. So, um, you know, our school district, fiscally, I mean, from a from a from a curriculum, from a teaching perspective, our Poway Unified's you know generally a very very good school district, but from a business management or a financial perspective, it, there's just so much that needs to be fixed. Not only did we have the billion-dollar bonds, not only did we have the corrupt superintendent that was caught stealing embezzling money that was intended to educate children um, and found guilty in a court of law, by the way. Um, We've had deficit spending. We've had deficits the previous years. There's a forecasted deficit for this year. Future years, we're dealing with deficits. Um, So there's an inability to financially um, manage the school district, and now- more no-bid contracts, which are a potential waste of taxpayer dollars, where taxpayer dollars are not being optimized. So the school district needs to get its act together. And I've been saying this for a long time. The city of Poway has, generally speaking, a very good financial planning model. It's been working for a long time, for many, many years, that's consistently delivered, uh, uh, balanced budgets often with surpluses that are put into reserve and that are deployed for high priority special projects and the city of poway system it's not perfect, but it's still very good, especially when compared to the school district um, so i uh, again I'm, i I encourage our school board members to just go you know a few miles down the road and go to poway city hall and and follow the model that they've built for financial management. And it will serve the school district well because they need to get their spending under control. Uh, Because if they don't, we're going to have another crisis. We're going to have a depletion of reserves. There's going to be calls for a parcel tax. You're going to start seeing this if the school district is unable to manage their own affairs. So be alert and be aware. Um, I want to speak a little bit about... um, the passing of President George Herbert Walker Bush. And, you know, this has been going on all week and, you know, he passed away at the age of 94. And it's interesting, um, you know, when a president passes, usually uh, people remember him fondly for all the good things and, and it's sugarcoated to a degree. Um, And, and, you know, there are many things about President uh, Bush senior that I think are very worthy of praise. You know, a good family man, appeared to be a man of character. Um, you know, his family had um, you know influence in American politics for most of the 20th century. Uh, you know, his family loved him. Wonderful wife, et cetera. And I think we hear a lot about the note that he left in the desk after he lost the 1992 election. He left a note in his desk for President Clinton. You know, essentially wishing him well and hoping for good things uh, in the future, gave President Clinton a couple of uh, pieces of, of of good, positive advice, and uh, certainly was not bitter at all about his loss. In fact, they became good friends and they worked cooperatively. I know on Hurricane Katrina and a number of other, um, uh, you know, service-minded uh, projects. So you know, kudos. You know, President uh, Bush also, President Bush Senior also a war hero. So good for him, but. I do think it is fair and appropriate um that while we're remembering you know him for all the good things it's it's an appropriate time to also reflect on his presidency you know he was a one term president and you know to me you know he was elected in nineteen eighty eight uh ran against uh Michael dukakis in nineteen ninety eight um you know just for the record I didn't vote for president bush um and he just seemed to be sort of this continuation of Reagan. I mean, there there was no really driving theme or philosophy uh, to President Bush's presidency. It just seemed like he just took the baton and continued. And you know, people will talk about the fact that the Berlin Wall came down under his presidency, and that's true, but that really wasn't because of President Bush. It was largely because of all the things that had been happening prior to his presidency. Um, but there were certainly some good things. Um, there was the uh, negotiation, the START-1 negotiation on nuclear arms with the Soviet Union uh, for um, arms reduction. That's a positive thing. Um, you know, President uh, Bush also began the process of enacting NAFTA, um, which was later uh, signed by, um, uh, into law by President Clinton. And as I have expressed already, I'm a big supporter of low tariffs, and NAFTA largely did that. It reduced tariffs with trade between the United States and Mexico. There were still a lot of regulations and other things with NAFTA that aren't good, but the fact that tariffs were lowered was a good thing. So those are a few of the positive things in his presidency, but there were a lot of negatives too. I mean, I think the big one for me was the pledge of, uh, read my lips, no new taxes, And then sure enough, he flips and uh, raises taxes. That was extremely disappointing. Um, You know, he obviously was um, the leader of the Gulf War I, um, you know, when Iraq invaded Kuwait, you know, he mobilized uh, the U.S. forces, really our first big war effort since Vietnam. um, And that resulted in a tremendous loss of life, not just for Americans, but for people on the other side. And... Was a great loss of money, and and look what it's done. It's it's kind of opened up this Pandora's box, and we've seen what has happened with U.S. involvement in the Middle East. Um, So that was really the catalyst for all of that. Um, What else? Uh, You know, President Bush also greatly expanded the war on drugs, which is a failure, and by you know deploying um, military police action in South America to go after um, some of the drug trafficking and where are we now on this? I mean, it's it's worse <laughs> it, because prohibition doesn't work. <laughs> and so it was, it was, I mean, I understand why he was trying to eradicate drug use. Obviously, drug use is not good. Um, but the whole approach of trying to snuff it out is not possible when there's such a great profit motive there. So the approach in solving it wasn't the right way. We should be learning from countries like Portugal on how they manage their drug policy, not by deploying uh, military efforts to go out and uh, kill or, or bomb places. Um, under his presidency, we saw Nor- Manuel Noriega removed from power in Panama, um, You know, essentially um, extracting uh, world leaders, whether you like them or not. I mean, is that really our role to go out and pick world leaders and extract them and put in puppet governments? We saw that in Panama and we were involved in the Philippine coup in 1989. Of course, there was a lot of military action in Somalia. So, I mean, I look back on President Bush's presidency and there's a whole lot there that I didn't support. I mean, there's a few good things, but what's interesting is if I compare his presidency with all the other presidents that have existed in my lifetime, which goes back to LBJ, and um, he ends up standing as one of the better presidents, certainly in the top half of the ones in my lifetime. That's mostly because all the others were just so much worse. Um, But, uh, you know, I guess at this time it's, it's appropriate um, for us to certainly have positive wishes for him on a personal level. And I do feel that way um, and wish him to rest in peace, but it is an interesting and appropriate time to also reflect on his presidency. Um, and it's interesting, too, how the media chooses to cover it. Um, but I just thought I'd put that out there um, since it's a it's a topical issue uh, these days. What else? Um, let's have some sports shout-outs. I, I, first of all, I am recovering from the Aztec loss to the University of San Diego in the city championship last night. What the heck happened? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I, I had prepared my uh, podcast yesterday, and I was all excited about what they did in Illinois State. And when they went, uh, um, you know, Two time zones away, and had a great win in an arena where the Illinois stayed at one hundred and thirty seven of their last forty one and the boys played great, but then they came uh, back home at viejas and laid an egg against the University of San Diego. I will say though that um, the kid Pinheiro for u s d great ball player, and I was really pleased to see uh, for u s d Finn Sullivan. Uh, a freshman at um, uh, USD and a former player at Torrey Pines. And I remember seeing him on the basketball court when Poway would face off um, with um, with Torrey Pines. And he was a great, great player in high school. And it was really neat to see him have a good game um, as a freshman in the city championship. So, hey, tip of the hat to Finn Sullivan at Torrey Pines. Um, what else? Uh, Cathedral Catholic football had the big 24-21 win over Harbor City. They're advancing to the state championship and big time props for Jalen Dye, who had the game-winning or game-clinching interception. I saw the um the video on YouTube where he um uh caught the ball right by the two-yard line, got his feet in bounds. It was essentially the last play of the game and sealed the deal. You know Jalen um, has great genes. His father Jermaine Dye, a former Major League All Star, but it's great to see his he do well. See Cathedral do well. Uh, Jalen Dye, I know lives here either in Poway or Rancho Bernardo. So props to you, Jalen and Cathedral. Um, the Poway High base, uh, boys basketball team had a sixty to fifty four victory over Mission Hills. Poway now seven and two in boys basketball, one and zero in Palomar League play. Adam Severe had sixteen points. I remember last year I went to a Poway High game against Rancho Bernardo at Poway High, the most amazing high school basketball game I've ever been to in my life. The ball game went two overtimes and Poway was victorious. Adam Severe, a um, crafty kind of undersized uh, point guard for the Titans, only had two points in the first half. And then he went off in the second half. He scored over 30 in the second half. He was hitting bombs from way beyond the three-point line. He was driving in the lane, making these acrobatic shots or or dishing the ball off and getting some great assists. He took over that game and put the Poway Titans on his back and um, led the Titans to a victory over Rancho Bernardo. This was last year, double OT. And so I love seeing him having a great game, and he's still continuing his excellence at Poway High. Um, I got to know his brother Robbie, um, who uh, was my son Trevor's JV basketball coach at Poway High. Robbie Severe, another great guy. So kudos to the Poway High Titans boys basketball team in um, Palomar League play. Westview right now in first place, six and zero. Poway in second, seven wins and two losses. Del Norte six and three. Mission Vista three and one. Rancho Bernardo two wins and two losses. Mount Carmel also at two and two. So we're just getting started. I know in December they usually have um, tournament play, um, and then the Palomar League will really get um, hot and heavy once we get beyond New Year's. So looking forward to going to some ball games um, this year at Poway High. Um, now let's talk about the girls. Uh, Poway High girls basketball—they had a big win, fifty-four to forty-eight over Santa Fe Christian. The Poway girls are five and one overall, um, and they're in second place. It's interesting in both the boys and the girls. Westview's in first. And Poway's in second. Funny how that works. So in the girls, uh, Poway, uh, Westview is seven and one, Poway five and one, Mount Carmel three and o, Del Norte five and two, Rancho Bernardo three and two, and Mission Vista oh and oh. I guess they haven't gotten started at Mission Vista. So um, what else can we talk about? Um, I want to share with you, I I'm, I love binge watching shows and that's why I've got my Game of Thrones and you've seen some of my bobbleheads I've had on, on my podcast um, the new program that I'm really into right now is The Man in the White, not The Man in the White Castle, The Man in the High Castle. And this is a show that's on Amazon Prime, and it's fantastic. It's this alternate reality of World War II, and it assumes that the Americans lost the war. And so the Japanese have taken over the Western United States, the German, uh, you know, the Nazis have taken over the Eastern United States, there's an American resistance, and kind of the whole Globe is sort of carved up for Japanese or German, and there's some neutral zones. Um, there's American resistance fighters, and it's a really, really interesting show because um, it's it's a period piece, it's historical, but it's fictional, and um, there's a supernatural element to it that I'm really enjoying. Um, so this past week or so, with the Thanksgiving holiday, and you know, I was battling a little bit of. Uh, you know, of a flu or a cold bug. I saw I was kind of down for the count for a bit. So I was binge watching this. I think I'm midway through season, season three, um, but I love the show. And um, if if you are an Amazon Prime subscriber, you know, where you pay the the yearly fee so you get free shipping, you can go on to Amazon Prime, which is their video streaming. And then many of their titles are available at no cost. So I had always been on Netflix, and now recently I'm starting to do more Amazon Prime, um, and you know, discovering a whole new world of of new shows, which is great. So, um, yeah, so uh, I'm gonna I'm really enjoying the man in the in the high castle, and uh, I'm just you know giving my recommendation. Be sure to check it out. Um, also, want to give another kind of props or a shout out uh, to to this organization and and. It was interesting is um, this is the Poway High Twin Peaks Middle School Choir Concert. And um, the people that are promoting that, they, they tagged me in their tweet. And so, well, thanks for doing that. And so I, of course, retweeted it to my group. So I figured, hey, if you're tagging me in your tweet, I'll share it in my podcast too. So the Poway High and Twin Peaks Middle School Choir Concert is this Tuesday, December 11th at 7 p.m. at the Poway Performing Arts Center. You can get your tickets at www.powaycenter.com. So that should be a great event. The next day, which is Wednesday, December 12th, there is going to be a presentation at um, Painted Rock Elementary for this new proposal or this new plan uh, for the Stone Ridge uh, Country Club. And that's Kevin McNamara's project, and it's a second attempt to present a development there with some you know, park space and new homes or condominiums. And I think the community is very interested in learning. I'm going to try to bring the John Riley project there and do a live stream if I'm successful and kind of figuring out some of my live streaming, but I'm going to give that a good go. And I, um, look forward to discussing this particular project in the future. I think it's, uh, it's intriguing and I'm generally supportive of developing the Stone Ridge golf club, uh, club and creating more housing. So, um, I'm interested to see what this proposal is about and some of the nuances to the program. So that's going to be on Wednesday, the 12th, Painted Rock Elementary. I think it starts at 6.30. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. Uh, Double check. Um, In the next podcast I do, I'll make sure I have an accurate time for that. And then... The last thing I want to do is give a big shout out a birthday. It was a couple of days ago, but, uh, Ozzy Osbourne, man, 70 years old, rock on Ozzy. I want to tell my Ozzy Osbourne story. Um, when I was a senior in high school, this is probably in, I don't know, maybe November of 1981. Um, and I went to Mills high school, which is up in Millbrae, kind of near San Francisco. And, um, they had just put in a new Burger King in Millbrae. And for us, this was a big, big deal. And so a lot of the high school kids would go hang out at Burger King, you know, and, and I was there one night and I was in the parking lot and I, it, it, there were no cars in this section of the parking lot, but I saw a wallet. And I, you know, naturally, I picked it up and I opened it up. There's no ID in the wallet. There's no um, library card. There, there's no driver's license. There's nothing with a person's name. So I have no idea who this belongs to. There's no cash in the wallet, but there are two things in the wallet. One was a bus pass um, for the bus that went up and down El Camino Real. And number two was a ticket to Ozzy Osbourne, a general admission ticket at the San Francisco Cow Palace. And boy, man, I hit the jackpot because my friends um, all got tickets to the concert. And this is back in the day when it was general admission. that knows no assigned seating. So it was just this great mosh pit in front of the stand, in front of the state, uh, the stage, and just had a great, great time. And it was a weird deal. Cause like, um, you know, th- first of all, this is when crazy train came out and, um, uh, over the mountain. I mean, it was like Ozzy's big debut solo album after he left black Sabbath. And, um, uh, they, you know, just like they do in all concerts, you know, they'll have the regular set list. And then he walks off, off stage and everyone's going encore, encore. And then, the encore started and the first thing that happened is this big, sort of like a metal giant hand kind of came out in front of the stage, like over the drum kit. And there was smoke and it was going to be this grand presentation. And then all of a sudden the lights went on and you're like, you know, the, the main lights for the whole cow palace, like it's time to go home. And we're like, well, oh, what happened? And so we, to this day, I don't know what happened. I don't know if Ozzy had enough, you know, if he was tired or you know, maybe had a few too much, uh, uh, inebriation. You know, I don't know what he was on at the time. I have no idea. Or if it was a mechanical malfunction, I have no idea. But I got to the concert for free. I had a great time. And, uh, I remember I made the mistake of wearing brand new slip on white vans to that concert and they just got demolished by people, you know, cause I was in like in front of the stage and it was like a mosh pit and it was nuts. Like those white vans were black vans by the time I got home. So another crazy story. So anyways, thank you very much for joining me on the John Riley Project. You know, we've taken some time off um, over the last few weeks. We're going to be having more guests. Um, our guests are going to go way beyond politics. You know, we focused on politics in the beginning. We have guests lined up in the worlds of business, sports um, columnists, um, writers, uh, public speakers, authors. Um, I've got a number of people lined up and, um, we're going to be doing a lot more of these solo podcasts. So I'm, uh, hoping to express more. So I invite your feedback and commentary. So reach out to me at johnreillyproject.com. Um, you can find me on Twitter, John Riley Poway. You can find me on Facebook. Um, so thank you very much for watching and have a great day, but stay dry out there. Bye-bye.